Today, I'm going to share a couple lessons I learned from the founder of Twitter, Square and Cash App. He is Jack Dorsey. I asked him about the art of feedback, how important it is to everything that he has done, and it's going to be gold. Let's go. Helping you win in your work life so that you're winning in the rest of your life. I'm Ken Coleman. This is The Ken Coleman Show. So years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, interview Jack Dorsey, and it ended up in this book, One Question, where I interview 34 different um, men and women who are big-time world changers, influencers. And uh, the format of the book was just one question. And uh, I wrote it because I I love the idea of asking a really well-timed question, a well-thought-out question. And I've always referred to and do so in this book as questions as keys that unlock life's biggest answers. Breakthrough comes many times on the other end of a question. So today, I'm going to go back into the Wayback Machine and uh, because this is so important because winning in work cannot be achieved without developing the muscle of asking for and receiving feedback. So few people do it because, quite frankly, it can be painful. It can sting. And who among us likes a bee sting? It's kind of like going, hey, little bee, give me a sting. And if you ask for feedback, there are times where that feedback will sting. But on the other side of it is breakthrough. And so we don't leverage feedback as much as we should. So I want to talk about these two lessons. So I asked him, uh, how important is feedback to you? And he gave me an answer. You could check it out in the book. But here's what I took away. And, and this is a problem that we all deal with when we talk about feedback. First is stop waiting for perfect conditions. Stop waiting for everything to be perfect. This is what he pointed out to me. These are fatal errors in our decision-making process. We wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, all because we're waiting for the right time. In fact, even though I said the perfect time, I think that's what we want to do, but I think we will sacrifice perfect, but we'll still make an excuse and say it's not the right time. No, you know, I'm being realistic. I mean, there's, there's no perfect time, but... There's got to be a right time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. Hey, I got news for you. When it comes to major life decisions, let's just pick two, marriage and parenting. I've been doing it for a while, so I've got a little bit of say on it. I don't know if I'm not an expert, I'll tell you that. I'm an expert at not being good at it. But I'll tell you this. You're never ready to be married, and you're never ready to be a parent. You just got to choose. Both parenting and marriage are acquired skills. <laughs> and so just like riding a bike, you got to jump on the bike the first time. So stop waiting for perfect conditions. This is what Dorsey said as he was a young businessman and he began to plot out. Uh, he had an app that he was just using and uh, it was it was designed to help couriers get around San Francisco. And so he'd taken the grid of the city of San Francisco and he created an app and it was designed. And so it was the very first thing he did on his own, his first entrepreneurial venture. And as I asked him about how much he valued feedback, he began to dive into that very first venture. And he said, a fatal error is to stop waiting for everything to be perfect. He realized that he was keeping all of his ideas in his head. 
ideas for the app, ideas how to make the app better, and he was just bottling everything up because he didn't feel the ideas were good enough to share. And so this is why this is a fatal error. If I'm worried about it being a perfect idea or being able to present it in a perfect way or a really beautiful way that's super impressive, I'll never let it out of my head. Ever. He admitted, I realized I was making excuses not to work on the idea. So hoarding the ideas in our imaginations where they can never actually get out is all about control. You're trying to control what people think of your idea and what people think of you. So I want you to understand that when we make these excuses, they sound really logic. Well, it's not ready yet. This isn't ready. This needs a little bit more work. We need to do this. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. You'll keep coming up with logical reasons as to why the idea or the product is not ready. I will tell you that some of my best ideas that I've come up with were ideas that I blurted out in a meeting with zero filter. I mean, just threw it out there, not even really knowing if it was a good idea. It was just an idea, and I've gotten to the point where I'll just throw stuff out. I want to watch how it bounces off people. How do they react? Is it immediately rejected? Do people consider it? Do people love it? This is the idea of getting it out of your head. So the second fatal error is stop developing ideas in a vacuum. Once you get the ideas out of your head, now you've got to share them with people and let them beat them up. So it's not just the brainstorm, throw it out. It's now take it to some people and go, I want you to look at this business plan. I want you to read this white paper. I want you to try this product. You've got to get real feedback from people. And again, this is relinquishing control. So that's why very few people do it. So those are the two fatal errors. So what's the solution to this? How do you get over guarding your ideas? Like they're, like they're little babies that you got to hold and, and coddle and wrap up tight. How do you do that? You've got to change the mindset that feedback, while it can be a, a stinging proposition, it can be sometimes crushing. Sometimes it stings. Sometimes it absolutely crushes you. But while those things are true, you need to understand that feedback is what inspires us to be better, to do better. Dorsey said to me, you can react to other perspectives defensively, or you can allow it to be an inspiration. And I thought that was brilliant. Even if it stings, even if it crushes you, it will inspire new ideas, new feelings, new actions. That's huge. The true word inspire here, it's not always about motivational stuff. It's just it is a creative agent. It inspires new thoughts I didn't have before. It inspires new feelings I didn't have before. And it will inspire new actions. So feedback shouldn't muddy the waters. Feedback should be an accelerant. So there's one caveat, and he said this. This is really important. He said, make sure you gather a range of feedback. Don't just take the first piece of feedback as though it's a little uh, Halloween pumpkin bucket. You know, that's what I used when I was a kid. And you just say trick-or-treat, and they put the candy in. This is like feedback. Don't just take the first one. Get some more. 
get different types of feedback, different types of experiences, different ages, different demographics. Get a whole Halloween bucket of candy. Get a lot of feedback to where we dump it out on the table and we begin to sort through it. And as we sort through it, here's what you cannot miss. This is what Dorsey said to me, and it's powerful. At the end of the day, after you've sorted through all of the different feedback, the opinions, make sure that you hold it up to your gut. Your gut has to be the defining opinion. And everything else bounces off of that. If you do that, let me tell you something. Massive breakthrough is coming because you put an idea out and it could take off. Hey, if you're enjoying the Ken Coleman Show, thank you so much for being a part of it. Would you help us grow? You can do that uh, if you're watching via YouTube by liking the video that you're watching, subscribing to the channel, and sharing. And on your favorite podcast app, follow us. Five-star review would be lovely. We're not interested in the other ones. And uh, share as well. Okay, so in my attempt to always keep you folks informed, I'm holding a New York Times article in my hands. And uh, this is fascinating. Uh, What they did is they sat down with a panel of recent college graduates. And they wanted to know their take on the feelings they have experienced as they have looked for a job as they come out of college. A new survey by the National Association of Colleges and Employers uh, shows that businesses are expecting to hire almost 4% more grads from the class of 2023 than they did from the previous class. So that's that's certainly good. But as I've reported on this show, you got four out of ten recent grads have been hired in jobs that don't require college degrees. So they went and got the college degree, and then they're in a job that doesn't even require it. And we also know from that same data that college grads that are in jobs that don't require degrees are making over $10,000 less than their coworkers, which is, you know, that's kind of frustrating. Um, I, I don't I don't want to laugh at it at all. But hear me say, folks like me have been waving my hands for years going, listen, if if you don't need the degree, meaning if it's not the only way or the best way, then do something else. But I will readily admit that when I say that, I know I'm bumping up against a cultural perception that you're a loser if you don't go to college. So. Here are some of the testimonies. I'm going to get to this. Here are some of the testimonies that I find interesting. One is a, is a, is a young lady named Layla. She said, I feel the pressure of the world right now. Everything feels like it has to have meaning because everything feels urgent. There's so much emphasis on, am I doing something for the world? Now, this is a fascinating Comment. In fact, if we could find Layla and I could put Layla in the studio right now, I would love to ask Layla several questions based on what she shares. But as I look at this, a couple of things jump out at me. Number one, fascinating that Gen Z, a member of Gen Z, feels tremendous pressure to find purposeful, meaningful work. 
That's a good sign to me. I don't like that she's feeling pressure. And that leads me to the second observation. Is she feeling pressure because she's watching TikTok videos or Instagram reels and she sees maybe some younger people talking about doing some big things because this generation is very social media savvy. And so they like to put up everything and they and they, they are very purposeful in wanting to do something to change the world. So is this a comparison trap that she's in? I don't know. Could be. But she's feeling some pressure from somewhere. And I think that this is a commentary on the younger generation and how they view work as a whole, which I am excited about. Not that she's feeling all this massive pressure. But I'm excited that the voice is there, and I hope she wrestles with it. And I hope she bumps into our show and our resources to get clear assessment. I would love to give that to her. Because when when young people are looking at work as more than just, I've got to get a job, but that I can make a difference in the world, that's a good trend. Another comment from Hannah. I'm applying for editorial assistant jobs. I'd like to be a writer working at a magazine. But ChatGPT scares me. It entered the college world at the end of my time in college. I had friends who used it to write papers. It makes it really hard to imagine what a career in journalism is going to look like in 10 years. And again, uh, another very astute observation from a young person here. AI is absolutely going to change content development. It already has. You just don't know it. But it is, it is going to continue to change it. Now, as an editor, now she's in an editorial assistant job, but what ChatGPT cannot do is edit. It does its own version. If you say, well, give it to me this way, this way, but I mean true editing. So if a journalist were to use ChatGPT to say, give me 2,000 words on this, and they took what ChatGPT gave them and then they added to it, at the end of the day, you need a human editor. And I cannot tell you, I've written three books. I cannot tell you the value of a great editor. I mean, they're magicians. (laughs) You know, as an author, my job is to bleed on the page. And then the, the editor comes in and cleans it all up, if you will. Right? And magical editors, I mean, they make the world go round. So this is an example of, and what I would say to this young lady, don't be afraid of ChatGPT. Embrace ChatGPT. Embrace it. Because you're going to stand out as an actual editor. Uh, Chris writes, I'm with Teach for America. We're getting ready to be placed in Title I schools to combat the opportunity gap and change the trajectory of the kids in those schools. Title I schools are in uh, uh, poverty areas. And he goes on to say, I went to a Title I school. It was very low income. My teachers did everything in their power to make sure we had what we needed. Of course, it's going to be stressful, but... It's going to be rewarding. Love this. We have a crisis in America right now where we have huge numbers of teachers that are leaving and reporting that they plan to leave. And the pipeline is not cranking out fast enough to replace the teachers that are leaving. It is a overwhelmed field. I I can't tell you how many times I've had teachers call this show burned out, discouraged, I'm out, Ken, help me. So I love this that Chris is saying, I'm a product of a Title I school, probably not 
a prospective teacher's number one destination on their wish list, but his attitude to say, you know what? It's going to be stressful. He went to school there. He knows what it's going to be like, but he says, you know what? I'm going in anyway. This is the firefighter. It's going to be hot. It's going to be dangerous. I'm going in anyway. I love that. So impressive. Sean responded, with all the news we've seen in the banking sector, a lot of my friends and I were nervous about getting jobs. We were worried we might be seeing a repeat of the 2008 uh, economic crash, if you will. I got a full-time offer after interning at a company last summer. I love this. Uh, Again, I cannot emphasize enough the power of internships. Internships are so, so powerful for getting in and then moving up. Uh, Alyssa writes, I accepted a job where I work with migrants seeking asylum. Before I got this job, I lived in a bubble. I did not know that there was an influx of immigrants. I jumped in blind. When you're in school for social work, you're taught the basics. But there are many aspects of social work you just have to learn as you go. I love this perspective from Alyssa. I love that she jumped in blind. I think if you're going to do that, and jumping in blind here is, obviously she was trained as a social worker, but she didn't really know what the work was going to be like, and she just jumped in anyway. And I love her response. There's just so many aspects to work that you have to learn as you go. And I think we as parents have done a poor job helping our kids understand you're not alone. Everybody has to step in at some point and get some experience. And there's just certain things you're never going to know. You're never going to learn unless you show up and you're willing to step into it. The anxiety that has just gripped this youngest generation right now, the Gen Z, it's unbelievable. My kids experience it. And and I've talked about this before. But part of this is because we've got really good marketing companies, and whether it's television, YouTube, uh, social media spots and ads, everything is marketed to us based on fear. Not everything, but just a lot. And so imagine what it would be like. Now, I'm a jumpy guy. Imagine if you're always walking around a corner at work and someone's always scaring you. (laughs) What do you start to do after about three times? Just creeping around going, I'm just waiting for something bad to happen. Get out there and get experience. You're going to be fine. You were created to fill a unique role in your work. That means you were needed, you're very valuable, but it also means you need to do it. Some of you need to figure out what that is and then get in there and get after it. But I understand this is a scary proposition. It's why I spent three years developing what I believe is a signature tool called the Get Clear Career Assessment. What is it? Simple. It's an awareness tool. It's not about your personality. It's going to tell you what you do well. That's a talent, a technical aspect. It's going to tell you what you love to do. We're talking about work, and then it's going to tell you the results that will always motivate you and get you jumping out of bed. You can get it at kencoleman.com slash assessment, kencoleman.com 
slash assessment. Let's go to Sedona, Arizona. Beautiful place, but my gosh, according to the news, have you seen the temperatures out in Arizona? Mostly in Phoenix. I don't know what it's like at Sedona. I hope he's not about ready to combust. Let's get to him. Levi, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, Ken. Yes, it's hot here for sure, but not as hot as Phoenix. Ooh, man. I think I saw something yesterday that was like 119 degrees or something. Yeah, that's about right. Oh, my gosh. All right. What's going on? Yeah, so um, basically uh, I took your Get Clear career assessment and uh, got some results, and so this is my question. So basically I'm 22 and married with a degree in graphic design, hoping for kids soon. I have a good job with plenty of opportunity for growth, but the work doesn't excite me, and the product we sell is pretty boring. According to your assessment, this job doesn't seem to align with my passions or my mission, so I'm considering exploring other careers, possibly even starting my own business someday. My hesitation is that I've seen so many men around me chase fulfillment in their work, all ending in failed businesses or career hopping, both of which take a huge toll on their families. My head tells me the noble thing is to suffer a boring career and simply provide stability, but my heart tells me to pursue purpose. What should I do? Follow your heart. It's right there on the basketball over my shoulder. Nathan, can we zoom in on that? Look, at I just got out of the way. It says follow your heart right there. Coach K signed that basketball for me. We're going to zoom in on it. Look at that right there. The reason it sits on the shelf is not because Coach K from Duke signed it. It's because of the message. And I hope that people subtly see it. And and I I find your question to be really important and really compelling because you have clearly seen some men do something of folly. It feels like folly. It's a, it's an old word, F O L L Y. It's essentially foolishness. And I think you have seen them do something that is foolish or you have seen them do something that is careless. Foolish means it never made any sense. They didn't have the talent to pull it off. It was just a a goofy pipe dream. Careless is there probably might have been something to it, but they, they, they went after it too soon. They leverage too much debt, something like that. So between foolishness and carelessness, I think you're going, oh my gosh, I don't want to end up like them, but I don't think you have to be foolish, nor do you have to be careless in order to live on purpose. Is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's spot on. I um, I see the, these men, I see their hearts, you know, seem right in that they want to do something they love, but... Um, but so many men I've just seen, you know, and it go it go badly. What what do you reasons. remember, or what can you point to that went bad in some of these horror stories that are haunting you? What went wrong? Well, yeah, a lot of I mean, like you said, leveraging debt or getting into things too soon, or yeah. um, sometimes there's you know there was opportunities for like really great jobs that would have provided their family with stability, and instead they chose to chase a business. Um, venture that you know that really didn't have the potential and um, yeah. you know and caused a lot of financial distress on their families. I'm just going to tell you from my story. So I'm 31, 32, and I'm self-employed. I'm taking care. I've got a good little company. My wife and I run it together. 
and I'm taking care of my wife and three kids. But I'm simultaneously really chewing and digging and trying to make sure that I know that I know that I know that I'm supposed to be pursuing broadcasting. Very scary proposition. Don't have a degree, still don't. Had no experience at the time. And I decided that I was going to do what I just told you to do a moment ago, follow your heart. So I followed my heart. Now, I still ran my small business. Every step of the way, I never sold it. I didn't shut it down and just go, wee, we're going to live in a tent underneath the bridge. Mm. I pursued my purpose. I pursued my why. I followed my heart, but I also was responsible to make sure that I was providing for my family. I did both. I didn't go into debt. I didn't jump too soon. I started small and I moved slow and I kept growing and I kept going. You can do that to where the risk is absolutely minimal. In my journey, I never risked anything financially. At any point, if I would have had to just walk away, I would have not ruined anything financially. In fact, I could have returned and started making a whole lot more money. So what you have to understand is what specifically those men did wrong that you can learn from. And then you just ask yourself, what are the chances that I'm going to do those things that I've seen fail miserably? So what's the answer? What are the chances? Yeah, not a chance. Zero chance, Levi. Zero chance that you're going to do what they did. Now, how does that change your mindset? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely, absolutely helps. I think it shows that a lot of what they did was built on uh, on risk and taking chances, and I think we associate that with dreams. Um, and so sometimes I think that, like, my dreams are just, you know, a gamble. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I love how you said that. I'm actually going to borrow what you said. I think that's really good. We sometimes think, think that our dreams are a big gamble. When in all reality, we go, is it? Is it a gamble? Because it's it's one thing to uh, go to a casino and uh, belly up to the uh, roulette table and say, I'm going to put X amount of dollars on red and now spin the wheel, right? That's gambling. That's a big gamble. The chances are they're against you. You literally have no say in it at all. There's a big difference between that and a calculated risk where you go, I'm going to risk some time. I'm going to risk uh, some money. Not a lot, but I'm going to risk some. But I'm going to be smart about it. I'm going to risk getting hurt, meaning disappointed. I'm going to risk getting rejected. I'm going to risk failing. But if it's calculated, I've planned for the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario is not destructive to my marriage. The worst case scenario is not destructive to my finances. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what is it you want to do? I honestly don't know. Um, that's why I took the test. I'm, I'm still figuring that out. Uh, what would the, you try today? Things. What would you try today? Just today. Doesn't mean it's tomorrow. Six weeks from now, yeah. a year from now. What would you try tomorrow? 
I don't know. The, the thing yeah, you that, do. like, when you talk about, when you talk about, like, work that you really love and things that light you up, yeah. the only things that really do that are things that I feel like people tell me aren't, you know, viable careers like music what? or, you know, okay. art. Okay, what do you mean? What music? What art? What if I guaranteed you'd be successful? What would you do tomorrow? I'd probably uh, open a local studio and just uh, help people make music. Okay, great. So why don't you try that on a small level right now? Why, in, instead of committing to this as a career path, yeah. why don't you just figure out, how can I help people in Sedona, Arizona make music? Figure out how to do that on a very small, zero-risk level. Watch what happens. Oh, young Levi is so close. He's so close, folks. He's going to figure out the path, and so will you. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.